Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about a family of aliens living among us, known as Coneheads, a bit like the 1993 movie of that title, they are indistinguishable from their human neighbours, but for their complete boldness and giant pointy skulls. Patriarch Danar Morhone works as a driving instructor, while his wife Price Sam looks after their teenage daughter Connie. To her parents' disapproval, Connie starts dating local human Ronnie, but their burgeoning romance is interrupted by the arrival of a rescue spaceship from the alien's home planet of Remulac. Back on Remulac, High Master Mintot accuses Danar of treason and sentences him to fight the ferocious Garthok. Danar uses his earthly golfing skills to save himself, killing the creature. For his victory, he is then granted a request to listen to two humans talk about films for 43 minutes, or thereabouts, and to have that conversation broadcast online in podcast form. The humans, Danny Moran and Sam Foster, and the podcast, Film Chat. Duh. Sam, you know that busting makes me feel good, but does watching the new Ghostbusters make us feel good? Our listeners can find out when we review Paul Figg's reboot of the beloved comedy. Also, you review The Neon Demon. We also discuss two pieces of news that reflect Hollywood's increasing interest in Asian intellectual properties, Justin Lin's proposed adaptation of the Lone Wolf and Cub manga series, and the rumours of a live-action Pokemon film. Does this news make us comically gurn, or does it make a giant tear appear by our head? That's a reference to the animation style of the Pokemon TV series for our younger listeners and older listeners. <laughs> How you doing, Steph? And as this is our 80th episode, I'll be ranking all 80 films of 80-year-old filmmaker and friend of the show Woody Allen in reverse order of quality. Now, I know he's only released 47 of those films, but Woody has given me the script of his next 33 films, so I can tell you with some authority that Afternoon in Marrakesh will be at number 36, Melinda, Melinda, Melinda and Linda is at 49, what would you want me to do with that? Is at 52. <laughs> Decrepit and Alone is at 41. And Moonlight at the Midnight Matinee is number one. It's going to be his masterpiece, I think. <laughs> well, that's a good title. I'd watch it. Films, 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 lots of films, 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 films. He's good films, bad films, fun films, sad films.
Chris Young, friend of the show, got in touch. He says, a bridge dramatic reading, please. And he linked us to a piece from the New York Times between Natalie Portman and the author Jonathan Saffron Foer, who might be famous. I'm so poorly read, I don't know who that is. You don't know who that is? No, is he famous? He is the author of Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, and he also wrote Everything is Illuminated. Um, and he also wrote a book called Eating Animals, which my brother bought and almost turned him into a vegetarian. And that's why I didn't read it, because I don't want that knowledge in my brain. <laughs> um, so Yeah, so anyway, this piece is apparently him and Natalie Portman are old buddies, and they emailed over the years, but the email exchanges were lost because uh, Jonathan Saffron Foa, being something of a Luddite, just had a Hotmail account and just like lost a bunch of it because Hotmail isn't very reliable. And so they decided to, instead of sitting down and actually writing a piece like have a traditional interview they just emailed back and forth with comically pretentious results <laughs> and sort of musings about life love philosophy and art are interspersed with natalie portman in uh, pants black and white photos of her in her pants those weren't attached to the emails were they those no. are for just for this piece yeah yeah so i guess it's a little reward if you're like getting a bit bored of the sort of pretentious prose you're like ooh, a lady's bum are there any pictures of jonathan's bum or no. his pants no Oh my god, hey, man! Poisonous pipe, patriarchy. Also, a friend of the show, Olivia Waring or Waring, Waring, Waring. I would have pronounced it Waring, but I don't know for certain. Olivia Waring commented, "They should publish the wavelength and frequency of their farts too." <laughs> Pretty scathing. <laughs> but you can see why when we deliver this dramatic reading. I'm just looking at these of now. the interview. Well, I found a article which has supposedly um, excerpted the most intense bits for us so that I don't have to read the whole thing. It says, uh, this is Jonathan speaking. Jonathan speaks of guinea pigs. It's almost six in the morning. The boys are still asleep. I can hear the guinea pigs stirring, but that might be the residue of a nightmare. People often refer to aloneness and writer's block as the two great challenges of being a novelist. In fact, the hardest part is having to care for guinea pigs. Um, here's the next one. Jonathan asked Natalie about how freedom constrains her. Freedom might not be a prerequisite for the expression of passion. It helps sometimes not to be able to follow your instincts. But they are strongly intertwined. How do you think about freedom? When do you most strongly wish you had more of it? When do you most strongly wish you had less? <laughs> I don't know what... What a load of nonsense. I don't know what he's talking about. They talk about guinea pigs a little bit more. Did you spot anything that you particularly enjoyed? Uh, I enjoyed this exchange where Jonathan was talking to Natalie about how she must have a lack of rituals in her life because because she's obviously moving around for movies and such. And uh, if there's anything that had cleared her wonder line in the past couple of weeks, I think a wonder line is just some sort of... You mean that's the point at which you find something wonderful? Exactly. Or introduces wonder. Natalie says, What has cleared my wonder line recently? Yesterday we saw five bunnies when we left the community pool and they didn't clear my wonder line. <laughs> but the look in my son's eyes definitely did. Oh, that's nice. He also made prolonged eye contact with a horse. <laughs> during which it was pretty clear they were having some sort of communication. That made me feel wonder. We saw James Blake sing Saturday nights. Extreme levels of wonder. Wow. Before the concert, we ate a meal at a restaurant that was pretty insane. It's called the Clove Club. Next time you come to London, eat there. Ben made me laugh a lot comparing his main course, an aged roasted duck stuffed with hay, 
to mine. Asparagus in papalot, which came out looking like cardboard because it was served in the brown paper. What? <laughs> How funny can that be? Yeah. That looks like cardboard. <laughs> Natalie's easily. What I like here is prolonged eye contact with a horse. With a horse. How long is prolonged? Well, I didn't like 10 minutes. <laughs> How long can your son communicate with a horse? Do we know how old the uh, the son is? He's like 35, isn't he? <laughs> no, she was pregnant when she won the Oscar for Black Swan, oh, which okay. was 2008. So I'm going to go and say about seven. Okay. I feel like once you get to a certain age, being impressed by rabbits is not going to induce as much wonder in someone else seeing you do it. Yeah. The thing about children is that it's amazing when they do completely mundane things. Just well, yeah. because it's a child doing it. Well, know? hence the phrase childlike wonder. Good point. There's no adult-like wonder. It's just no, wonder. That's Well, that's just boring, isn't it? <laughs> if an adult's like, wow, some rabbits, you'll kind of like grow up. <laughs> grow the fuck up. Which is ironic, I suppose. Grow down. Be a child. I'm going to find that wondrous. It's all about context. Natalie muses on melancholy as a cultural tendency. An ex-boyfriend of mine used to call me Moscow because he said I was always looking out the window sadly, like Moscow like some Russian novel or Chekhov play. Clearly there were grounds for this ex getting fired, but he did have a point. I have that longing, yearning, it's better over there tendency. It was illuminating for me to have Oz describe that kind of behaviour in his mother as Slavic romantic melancholy, because it associated it with a cultural tendency. And it's true that there is a very cultural influence on that sort of yearning, depressive Moscowing out the window. There must be a German adjective that describes this exact feeling. Must be a German adjective. All right, Moscow. Would you break up with someone if they uh, nicknamed you Moscow? Yes, and I have. <laughs> <laughs> Awful city. I don't want to be associated with it. <laughs> You're dumped. Yeah, well, that's cool. It introduced a lot of new depths to the star of your highness. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't have anything else. Although, when you said that, I thought you were just sort of for a second calling me. Your highness. <laughs> then introduce this new depths to Natalie Portman, your highness. <laughs> well, well, I have a lot okay. of I have a lot of respect for you and for the institution. <laughs> I guess I'm sort of like a king to you sometimes. Yeah, that's our dynamic. I think that it is, sire. Okay, <laughs> we're moving on now. We hosted a film screening um, of Chicken, which we'd mentioned previously, and it went ahead, and it was a lot of fun. It was great, and uh, we'd like to thank everyone who came along and you know decided to spend their Monday evenings that way. A lot of great options on Monday that you could have done instead. Um, yeah, and it was it was really good. And thanks so much to Freddie Machin. Machin, the, the what writer. a guy. Yeah, he was a great sport. Yeah. He um, ran with our relatively boring questions, managed to turn them into excellent uh, raconteur no, no, entertainment. No, no. Our questions weren't boring, Sam. I think, yeah. you know, don't... Oh, yeah. Don't beat yourself down. Okay, thanks. I mean, your questions were fantastic. I didn't yeah. want to drag you into my own self-deprecation there. Yeah. I mean, you were dragging us down, but luckily between me and Freddie, you put you pulled it out the back. Yeah, yeah, and it sort of became after a while because um, there was the size of the audience. It kind of turned from less of a Q and A into more of a kind of guys hanging out discussing the movie we just watched. It was just nice, like this podcast, just like this podcast, but on a grand scale, and uh, people were engaging with it. Yeah, and it was yeah, it was cool. So was maybe awesome. we'll do it again sometime. Who knows? Didn't you suggest we do it with Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2? Yeah. I was looking on our screen and they've got that in their library. Who wrote that? Um, is that a child? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was Freddie Machen. Well, maybe as a professional we'll writer, he can just you know give us his two cents on it. 
What we'll just still get him along for Q and A afterwards. Yeah. I yeah, think he why should be not? our go-to Q and A guy. I think that'd be good. That would be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. He's running some play about refugees at the moment, but you know, while he's when he's on a break from that, he can come and um, give us a report on Twilight Breaking Dawn Part Two. Superhero films announced, casting rumors leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's fit to print. Justin Lin news. Mm. I know you love Justin Lin. I do like work. Justin Lin very he much. He is the director of Fast Furious. Three, Which one did he three, do? Three, four, five, and six. I think he did. Tokyo Drift to Fast and Furious 6 with Justin Lin and he's just directed the new Star Trek movie. He is a hot property. But Star Trek was actually a detour and he's been attached for some time for a Lone Wolf and Cub adaptation. If you're not familiar with if you're not familiar with Lone Wolf and Cub, this is a manga series from the 70s which is quite seminal and it's basically about a badass warrior samurai guy whose family is murdered and he's framed and dishonored and he wanders the plains with his young son eking out revenge and it became the okay. bit like road to perdition road to perdition is like the ripoff of lone wolf and cup oh, okay if you cool. wanted to see like a dreary shit version of that story <laughs> <laughs> uh, watch road to perdition and it's also been adapted into a series of films most famously shogun assassins which is referenced in Bull volume two which itself is actually a compilation of two of the previous films just released for international audience. I learned today in my research. Interesting. Anyway, so Justin Lin has been talking about it because he's doing the press for Star Trek. He says, it's the greatest detour of my career, but I'm excited because Lone Wolf and Cub is one of the many projects that I, can, that I can't wait to go back and revisit in the next two weeks when we're done with all the press. And he seems to imply that he plans to have a completely Asian cast. He says, five to ten years ago, they would have wanted Keanu Reeves to play the dad. I think the cool thing about it is that filmmaking has gone global. There's many ways to make a movie, and I think Hollywood has to evolve. Sort of implying that because of this increased interest in the Chinese market, that's a huge yeah. deal now. Hollywood might just be fine with an Asian cast in Asia, unlike this sort of Ghost in the Shell adaptation. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, be well, it sounds like the manga roots. Um, if if his analysis is like right or not, at least he's pushing for that. It's good to know that that's yeah, and he's what he Asian American himself, so right, I exactly. So he's got a personal racial stake in uh, yeah in the matter. As Andrea Lesson has taught me, unless you're genetically connected <laughs> to somebody, you can have no empathy. I hope he's got a kid. Yeah, so you can get that part of the film correct. Yeah, I think he's got a whole meta narrative of him and his kid wandering the plains of LA. Yes, <laughs> trying to get this, <laughs> trying to get this movie made. Um, but yeah, I think that's cool. It's a cool movie. It's ridiculously violent, Shogun Assassins. I watched it once, and I can't say I completely followed the plot, but there was a lot of violence. Good. Good. Was it a good film? Yeah. It's sort of, it's very 80s. Yeah. A lot of terrible sound effects. Well, it's yeah. good that you can't remember the plot that well, because then it was not a spoiler for when he makes this one. Well, yeah. it's just, um, it just strikes me as one of those kind of sweeping myth-based plots. Wronged man innocent child yeah revenge. yeah yeah exactly yeah it seems it definitely seems like something that you can you know rework in different ways and road to perdition is not a particularly good film so maybe it's you know it's gonna be nice film. to have that story done in a better way but and on a slight tangent the kid from road to perdition i only found out yesterday was in um everybody wants some and really? he's quite good oh because like, he's kind of terrible now yeah in road but to perdition, in, yeah. A, in the 15 years that have passed yeah. Quite a good actor. Or maybe Richard Linklater is just a better director of actors than Sam Mendes is. Um, that is true. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's definitely true. That's almost certainly correct. Yeah. 
but that's exciting. Yeah, cool. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I enjoyed the Fast and Furious films of Justin Lin's. Yeah, he's good seen. at action. Yeah. The Star Trek movie might be good. Look kind of badass. Maybe when that comes out, well, you know, we can judge whether um, this looks like the film of a man who's going to be good with samurai and a child. Yeah. You know. Idris Elba's not playing a human again, as he's often wont to do. Yeah, you it's another what? it's another occasion when they're covering up the black actor with um, massive prosthetics. Yeah, like in Suicide Squad or Guardians of the Galaxy, Star Wars. Or... Lupita Nyong'o's that like little yeah, or Star Wars of Force Awakens. They can't. Black <laughs> <laughs> people aren't allowed to be. They do that. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quite a lot, yeah. Um, Danny, have you been playing Pokemon Go like everyone else in the world? Um, I tried to download it, but my phone is like a bit shit and doesn't have it. Won't go. Save me from myself, perhaps, because otherwise I'd just be roaming ham looking for, you know, Squirtle. Yeah, how does it... Do you know how it works exactly? Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yeah, you sort of... You just have to interact with your environment, right? It just kind of leads you towards Pokemon, and then you hold up your camera phone, and then it's there in the sort of... Okay, so it gives you a kind of coordinates, and it's like you've got to go hunt them out. Yeah, and then You can't just sit in your room. You've got to go and find them. Yeah, and it establishes sort of key h quarters where like people can gather like in public places oh yeah um so i'm aware that it's a phenomenon i'm a bit too much of an old crank but a bit too obsessed by the internal um civil war in the labor party to you know <laughs> deal with other things <laughs> but i'm aware that it's very popular and it seems to have taken off so rapidly that they are already contemplating a film adaptation of it that's why we're talking about it by the way yeah just in case listeners were confused Nintendo's stock jumped by 9 billion since Pokemon has come out. <laughs> <laughs> since Pokemon Go came out. So um, why, why are they thinking about making a movie? It's why? I don't know, man. I don't know. Um, I oh, think 9 billion, right? Okay. Yeah, no, that's probably That'll why. Be it. Yes. And the legendary pictures, apparently, the studio behind Warcraft and Godzilla um, looking to adapt it. Warcraft, well, I guess those are relevant because Warcraft is a game and Godzilla is Japanese. <laughs> yeah. So, like, combine those two things. Um, there's been rumours that Max Landis is going to write the screenplay, but um, he said he hasn't been approached. Um, so that's so you can ignore what I just said. And um, uh, yeah, I mean that's that's about all we know about it at the moment. It's very early days, but um, A Pokemon live action film. Uh, yeah, I mean who knows? It's I'm not sure exactly what because the appeal of Pokemon Go is that you are doing something that resembles what the character in the game is doing yeah or, or in the car you know the car exactly. game whatever you're it's closer to that reality so i don't know if the live action i mean if the adapt the film adaptation will have necessarily be live action or, or yeah, what it was less immediate is it is it gonna be like an interactive movie or <laughs> how do they how do they continue to capture what I was interesting that about Pokemon it occurred Go? to me was that it's sort of you know fine when it's a game or a cartoon the concept of pokemon but when it's about young children capturing animals and making them fight and like being the shit out of each other <laughs> yeah right there's something kind of cruel about it <laughs> so i feel like when you put that in a real world it just instantly makes it a bit more serious and it's like actually what are we doing do you think they're going to do the sort of jungle book version of it when it's like incredibly photorealistic <laughs> animals really violently tearing the sh- each other to shreds yeah you know? some of them be terrifying in real life yeah i like missed a mime it's like jesus it's just like a yeah you're right that like would a be... stephen king creation <laughs> 
some of them i think they will struggle to you know render in an incredibly lifelike way well see another another thing that's kind of weird about it is that i'm just going on the TV what about show. chancy like that would look weird wouldn't it is yeah. that the one that's a nurse uh yes there's one of them that looks like a little nurse yeah one of them is a nurse. <laughs> <laughs> like that would look weird if you made that really lifelike <laughs> i was gonna say like just going on the, on the tv show what's kind of a bit weird about it is it's like a sports movie about him rising to the top but he doesn't do anything it's just like highs of, he just outsources it to like small furry creatures <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's true yeah i guess he goes on a sort of adventure and he's well, like, a bit gets... of it's a kind of about the emotional bond you have with the creatures that are trapped in your little plastic yeah. ball in your rucksack. Yeah, for most of the day. For most of the day. <laughs> and then you take them out and make them fight. Well, in the there's a I feel like the way that they kind of disappear in a flash of energy into the ball suggests that they're almost not really alive at all. Do they? Do they? Do they up to anything in the ball, or are they just like they don't really exist at that point? And then when you like throw them on the ground, they're kind of these they're back in existence. Yeah. If you leave them there for like a month, do they notice that time pass? Well, these are the sort of issues the film's having to grapple with. Yeah, I hope I hope it does. I hope that it's like a lot about the ethical question. Like, there's a protest group or whatever that wants free wild Pokemon or something like that. Yeah, they should have that. It's like you mean like Pikachu's just there the whole time, and then like Charmander comes up and is like, "Is Reagan still president?" And he's like, "What the fuck are you talking about, man? It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's 2016." It's like, yeah, but I've only lived about four days. Cumulatively <laughs> 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 over that time. Yeah, I didn't have time to read the papers. Yeah, it should grapple with issues of time travel and social injustice. Actually, this is this whole movie is opening up for me as yeah. a premise. So many interesting angles to take on it. Yeah, well, I hope good. Team Rocket are in it as well. Oh yeah, you got to put Team Rocket. Meowth. Yeah, have it. Have Billy Crystal do Meowth as um, a version of what's his character of Monsters Inc. Mike Wazowski. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think we got it nailed. Looks like Sam's got a film to review. He's just getting ready now. Hey Sam, here's a few tips for you that I hope are gonna help you out. You gotta come prepared, try not to rush, speak directly into the mic. Um, don't sort of use filler words too much and try to avoid talking total shite. Okay, start reviewing now. The Neon Demon, it's the new film by Nicholas Winding Refn, the director of Drive, and more recently Only God Forgives. His career has been characterized by um, some very stylized, um, usually kind of violent slightly um hard to get into uh films which have generally not met with enormous amounts of commercial success and drive was this kind of breakout thing um and ever since then he seems to have redoubled his efforts to like not make a hit um (laughs) by getting like ever more sort of abstract and paring down the dialogue and stories and much like as possible um only god forgives because it starred ryan gosling in the same way drive did i think people were expecting a movie that was very similar to drive and instead they basically got like a series of um shots of like uh ryan gosling staring at stuff and then pe- people being like brutally murdered um <laughs> so, so a masterpiece so that was somewhat divisive and the neon demon um is very similar kind of approach except he's moving away from his ultra masculine characters um, and um, has decided he wanted to get in touch with his feminine side or whatever. Um, so he has made a film set in the um, backstabbing, cruel, superficial world of the fashion industry in LA. So the plot is Elle Fanning plays a young aspiring model called Jesse who moves to Los Angeles um, and makes a splash in the fashion world there, introduces herself to um, a makeup artist called Ruby and fellow models Sarah and Gigi. And here is a clip of her 
um, speaking to Gigi after they both um, auditioned for a uh, catwalk shoot and it went a lot better for Jesse than did for Gigi. Oh no. I thought you did great. Don't do that. Pretend that you don't know. People see you. They notice. Do you know how lucky you are? I'm a ghost. What's it feel like? What do you mean? To walk into a room. And it's like in the middle of winter. You're the sun. It's everything. So, yeah, I mean, if you've seen Only God Forgives, um, it's kind of a similar thing. And uh, in that the the story is kind of meandering. The pace is very slow. It's kind of um, very interested in image. So I guess as a, as a subject matter, his choice of fashion industry is like kind of on the nose because um, there are, you know, people very meticulously setting up fashion shoots and taking photographs of women within shots that are themselves very meticulously set up right. and stylized. And the bits in which um you see fashion shoots happening is hardly less stylized than the bits when they're you know when she's <laughs> hanging out at her motel or whatever so there's an interesting kind of meta you know aspects to it i i quite like i quite enjoyed the movie i would say that it sort of puts itself up as being a comment on uh, female beauty or or something like that it kind of feels like it's trying to or at least it's um, aspiring to uh, make some comments on um, the cruel nature of female beauty and like the vapidity of the fashion industry and stuff. But I feel like it's more just a setting for Nicholas Winding Refn to indulge some of his um, favorite stuff um, because it fits well into that world. Yeah, simply music. Yeah, there's the cl- the score by Cliff Martinez, who also did the score for Only God Forgives. Did he do Drive as yeah, well? Yeah, he did the incidental music. Yeah, the score is like absolutely brilliant. And there's quite a lot. It's quite reliant on it because there's a lot of, uh, there's not a whole lot of dialogue in the movie. Lots of slow-mo. It's kind of a series of tableau in a way, or tableaus. I think it is successful in that it, for the most part, avoids being, it doesn't feel like exploitative of female beauty in a way that the industry that the film depicts is. And partly I think it's because he's quite a sexless director, a bit like Christopher Nolan. A bit clinical. Yeah, yeah, definitely um even when what he's like showing you is quite like deranged and gory but it doesn't feel leering um it's very it's very influenced by horror movies and um sort of jallo oh cool um and even when it's going down the sort of boobs and blood route you don't feel like even that doesn't feel particularly like sexual there's there's boobs and blood in this film there's boobs and blood large quantities of blood when they put that on the poster only a few boobs what (laughs) Um, a small handful of boobs it's kind it's funny in that he is obviously trying to make a film that um is about women or you know gets in touch with his feminine side or whatever rather than his very masculine concentrated films up to now but it still feels very much like a film made from a man's perspective i think in that the depiction of women is like they're all super beautiful super bitchy and you know like cold unknowable um violent beings you know what i mean i think there's a bit of a cliche uh, of like when what, women hang out they're what, just like what's your point sam <laughs> so you mean he's right on the money yeah he is it is Nailed exactly them. my experience of all women um, yeah, yeah I, it I, feels I, like an outsider's perspective on them in a way because yeah. they all kind of act like aliens 
Well, that's sort of, he's always got a bit of a distance, right? He's kind of, as you were saying, he's yeah, yeah. detached. Well, it just feels like he hasn't he hasn't exactly set out to explore the female psyche. It's like, I want to make a movie about women. What, what do I know about women? Uh, women's magazines? I don't know. Beauty? <laughs> something like that? Yeah, and he got, like, female writers in to, uh, to like, help him out. But, like, the first one quit, and he had to have them replaced. Like, <laughs> I'm quite, quite curious to know exactly how that relationship worked out. Um, I think it's not, like, a particularly deep or brilliant um, film, but I did find it very entertaining to watch. I think it's kind of hard to get a grasp on exactly how seriously you're supposed to take the proceedings. And I think the best way to watch it is not very seriously. Yeah. Um, as something which has got... A lot of spectacle it looks really really stunning throughout and all the all of the um actors are really throwing themselves into their roles and l fanning is really really good in it um jenna malone has to do like some crazy shit <laughs> i felt quite bad for her uh but she you know just pulls, pulls it off with aplomb brilliant um it's very like it's borderline ridiculous you know there's that bit in only god forgives where someone asks Ryan Gosling a question and he takes like a bit too long to respond to it. Yeah, I remember I remember it well. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. And it's like, yeah, it's like, okay, I get it. And um, the Neon Demon skirts that um, kind of thing quite a few times. Yeah. But if you, you just kind of settle into it, every scene I was looking forward to seeing like what was going to come next, it's never less than beautiful. I knew a lot of people were watching and be like, this is just empty bullshit. Um, but uh, you know, I, for me, it's entertainingly. Well, so. I haven't seen this, but going on his previous films, I think you know, a long you can go a long way with just being so committed to it. Mm. You know, like he really commits to this sort of his tone poem and, thing. Yeah, and so you just I don't know. I was well, swept I, away. I've already got forgive. So I, imagine it, I, I might feel buy like this one as well. I feel like it's not pretentious. I don't feel like it's trying to reach for great heights of meaning. I think mm. that it's very. Um, directly aesthetic in its appeal yeah. it's not trying it's not like it's not a tone poem in that this like it means loads you know yeah, it yeah, doesn't yeah. come loaded with meaning it just like comes loaded with atmosphere and he, and he does that really really well um, yeah. and it has a lot of uh, good moments in it and it's funny like some things he obviously has a, a bunch of images that he wants to include some of them are in dream sequences some of them are just like in the film. Sure. So he clearly wanted a bit where this is in the trailer, so I hope it's not too much of a spoiler. But he obviously wanted a bit where there's like a line on a bed roaring. I think he felt like that expresses something about the mood of the movie he wanted sure. to capture. Why not? So in the movie, there's a bit where a lion breaks into her um, motel room, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then there's like there's obviously a few other things that he wanted like, to happen, um, like the Hangover. I know that's a tiger. Yeah, very much, very much like that. And there's obviously a few other things where, you know, he wanted this image and so he's just like, and now she has a dream and I'm going to have that image in the film, you know. Yeah. I feel like you can tell that he wasn't quite sure how to end it. And the 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 last, I think I read a kind of set report from it where they were still working on the ending, like while they were shooting the movie. Um, and about like the last 15 minutes or so, the film uh, goes fully to town on the like, um long meandering like atmospheric shots with no plot like <laughs> brilliant um takes that to a full extreme where you have you feel like the movie is being wrapped up but what it means or in what direction you don't know and it is a bit like he scrawled a bunch of crazy ideas on a napkin picked the top five best ones shot them in order and then was like there we go then now the film is over um <laughs> but it's all there cool you know it's all super cool. Yeah. All the actors are fully committed to it. And it does make it a bit more interesting that um, he's doing it with women this time. You know, yeah, I think it just adds a fresher dynamic to it. And the theatricality of the fashion industry is a great opportunity for him 
and the, all the costumes are really brilliant and all you know all of that stuff um cool. looks really great I'm gonna check it out so yeah i mean I, I i recommend it i recommend approaching it as kind of like light entertainment in a way in that it's like um feels like an like a slasher movie or something like that watch watch it in that spirit where it's just you know washes over you and it's kind of entertaining nonsense but just um made very with like incredible precision i think what's kind of interesting as a director is that he makes these kind of genre movies like we read the synopsis that kind of like these kind of b movies it's a real cliche it's like it's an art house b movie Mm. that's sort of what drive is yeah and uh it's his aesthetic which kind of makes it because otherwise it'd just be a boring film about a man who's a bit taciturn and then you know it's just like death wish or something but because he's got this really interesting aesthetic he just you put that onto fairly mundane material and it becomes sort of ele- elevates elevates it. Or, or, or just no, um, it doesn't become deeper or necessarily you know add meaning to it it's just it makes it more entertaining yeah, exactly yeah definitely only god forgives is like that where it's a kind of gangster movie but, but... just like you know a man singing karaoke and yeah swords coming out of his back and stuff it's very similar in that it's a the both movies feel like depictions of hell i think that's what he's into now hell, hellscapes yeah in de- like urban hellscapes shit um so if that's your cup of tea it is drink it up are we all living in a hell right now sam post-brexit yes, absolutely Every it's day. the perfect post-brexit nihilistic film Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. Let's join review share between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The light is on, the guys are in, so let the chat begin. Stop talking now. Say. The Neon Demon is all about women being incredibly mean to each other. Um, and then the next day, Danny and I went to see an antidote in the form of a film about women being quite nice to each other. Yes, it's my childhood ruin, Sam. Yeah, mine too. Ghostbusters, which has been heavily promoted. And the plot is kind of what you expect it to be. But just for the sake of clarity, it's about a parent. Uh, it's about a physicist called Erin Gilbert, played by Kristen Wiig. She is... A former paranormal investigator who sort of turned her back on the paranormal to um, do real uh, science. Do real science and is reconnected with her former partner Abby, played by Melissa McCarthy, who's still very much a pro ghost believer. And Abby is working with Gillian uh, Holtzman, who is a eccentric and brilliant engineer, played by Kay McKinnon, and those three plus a New York expert slash subway worker called Paddy, played by Leslie Jones basically form the Ghostbusters and start investigating ghosts. busting ghosts when they turn up in New York City. So this movie's got a lot of press. It's from the director of Bridesmaids, Heat and Spy, Paul Feig, who specializes in female-led comedies starring Melissa McCarthy, and this is their fourth collaboration. And I would say I enjoyed the film to begin with, but I'd say it's a sort of mixture between his, his approach and the Ghostbusters formula, and they're not necessarily easy bedfellows. Because Paul Feig's films are very irreverent and pacey and the emphasis isn't particularly on plot and it's more sort of character comedy. Yeah. And the Ghostbusters films are actually quite well plotted and sort of story orientated. And so this movie is both quite reverential to the original, which in a way perhaps detracts from the Paul Feig approach and this manifests itself in some pacing problems. Yeah, and also he's not a great director of like action. 
No, he's or, more of a sort of comedy dude. Yeah, he's not. He's no sort of. I don't know. I mean, it kind of calls for someone like Joe Dante or like Sam Raimi or something like that. Yeah, you know. Um, and his um, sensibility is like quite a long way from that. And it, and it's also more of a children's film. It's not Bridesmaids and Spy and The Heat have a lot of scatological humor, and a lot of the you know improvisational qualities of his cast kind of rely on, well, not rely on, but like are made better by that aspect to it. And this, they feel a bit restrained. Yeah, I think that's true. It's, um, as a point of comparison, uh, which I think is justified, Spy isn't particularly well thought through plot-wise as a series of sort of comic set pieces. And the fact that the plot is so flimsy is actually to the film's benefit because you can just sort of cut past that whenever the film's dragging. But the this film suffers from a sort of similar nostalgia reboot thing, which is a sort of increasingly prevalent trend where it's sort of very reverential to the first film and everything is given a little sort of setup and so there's a sort of tick list of ghostbustery things they have to do so it's both very invested in the sort of lore and mythos of ghostbusters but also super irreverent at the same time mm. which makes some things just seem a bit pointless they spend time setting it up and then it doesn't really have much of a plot purpose it's just there because they felt you need to know where the logo came from or yeah. where the car came from and it's not necessarily aiding the story or aiding the comedy. Uh, so that's what kind of drags it down. But I think if you take it on the basis of like a Paul Feig summer uh, blockbuster comedy, I'd laugh pretty consistently. Yeah. And it would like kind of worked. Yeah, yeah. I laughed quite a lot. I think what you're saying is true because it kind of reduces the joke rate in a way that's a bit unwelcome. I yeah. think when I'm seeing these movies, I'm kind of used to a rapidity of jokes that, you know, was didn't quite meet. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like in Spy, because it's every everything that happens is just an excuse to get to the next joke. Whereas in a film like Ghostbusters, it has a, a story that has to build to a climax. There's more of a dramatic impetus to it. And I think that kind of slows it down a little bit. And, and also all the nostalgic stuff that you were referring to, like constantly, you know, referencing that other film. Yeah. Um, which is a little distracting. So it did at times feel a bit like, I laughed, but when's the next one coming? You know? Yeah, yeah. That's true. I think, like, as expected, the cast are really good. Just hilarious women being hilarious. Mm. Kate McKinnon is probably one of the weirder characters in the mainstream film for a while. Absolutely, and I kind of liked yeah. how it just, like, went for that. She's just, like, actually a bit insane. It, it felt a bit like... It, it was almost, like, less of a character or it was just, like, someone who just pointed at Kate McKinnon and was just, like, do the funniest thing you can do all the time. <laughs> Whatever you think will make other people in the cast laugh, just be doing that all the time. Yeah. That was kind of I kind of which liked. was like it was great. No, she was absolutely hilarious. She's um, very lovable. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Leslie Jones, I found for a movie we were discussing this for a movie that's quite progressive. The sort of streetwise black character who's quite mm. streaky and it's like hell no. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god. That was, was a like, bit. Come on now. Yeah. Come that, on that now. Was, it felt like a bit of a throwback. I remember it was a bit of an eye roll moment when the initial trailer came out. The three white women are all uh, like scientists. Yeah, yeah. And then this uh, black woman turns up and she's like, "Well, you may have the smarts, but I know New York." You know, and it's, it was a bit like, uh, uh. "Come on!" She's like the poor one who's, <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. That was a bit of a shame. They should have made her a scientist. Yeah. And she also got probably least well served by the the script in terms of the gags. Yeah, I would say like the whole them becoming women thing is not really an issue at all. There's a few digs in the film about, like, haters, and the villain is, like, a sort of evil internet troll. Yeah. 
there's definitely a reading on the film, which I think was probably the most, the kind of coolest thing about making it women is that in the original, they're sort of guys who are looked down by their sort of peers because they think they're just hacks. But in this, they're just sort of women and just like, it's just hard to be a female scientist uh, anyway. Yeah. And all the men are like dismissive and incompetent. And I thought that was, I kind of wish it kind of leaned a bit more into that. Like if you're going to make it, let's go the whole hog. Just, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I did like how all the men were like idiots. Made a nice change. Definitely. Um, and what we haven't discussed, Chris Hemsworth, who is... He does a good sort of um, idiot um, receptionist character. Yeah. Sort of almost unbelievably stupid. Yeah. Um, I think they saw the episode of 30 Rule with John Hamm and they were like that. That's true. It is actually very, <laughs> it is very, very much like that. Yeah. The movie sort of feels like it's aimed in its tone at like 12-year-old girls, maybe. In contrast to Poor Fog's previous movies, which doesn't sit particularly well with a nostalgia thing either, because like those people are not going to have seen the original Ghostbusters. Yeah, I like I, I like the idea of making Ghostbusters, which is trying to capture that feeling of being a kid and watching the movie, but for a new generation. But that doesn't make then then it doesn't really make sense to be like, hey, it's the fire station. Hey, it's the thing. Yeah, you know? yeah. Oh, it's the original cast doing little cameos. You know. And I think if you don't know that that's the original cast, like all those scenes seem very strange. It's true. Because those characters are totally superfluous. With that, there's also just a climax, which just feels, this is now the climax of the movie. Yeah. And as the sort of um, ghosts ramp up, the laughs dry out. I mean, it's fair to compare it to Ghostbusters because it invites this comparison. But what's so good about that movie is that all the bits are funny. Like when the fighting ghost is funny, when there's exposition is funny. But yeah. it's like, it's a bit compartmentalized. Like now the ghost busting happens and then, you know, the ghost will be busted and then the jokes will resume. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think that was not maybe his strength of the director. And also it kind of, true. it breaks the internal logic of the Ghostbusters universe slightly. There's, you know, after setting up all this lore, you know, they can sort of kill ghosts, which makes no sense. Yeah. The, the, I the, sort that of was... the way they fight the ghosts is really weird. It's kind of like, um, the sort of acrobatics hand-to-hand combat stuff doesn't looks weird in a ghostbusters world yeah. um, I'm sure that quite worked i think that there's a another um issue with it in in this sort of like the sensibility of the approach is that the original two ghostbusters movies are like deeply weird films like made by people who are quite weird i think dan Aykroyd is like a weird guy yeah i mean his his original idea for ghostbusters 3 is that they go to hell um which is sounds totally bananas and of course ghostbusters 2 is all about like a giant river of pink slime under new york which is very strange uh, notion i mean basically ghostbusters 1 and 2 feel a bit like a movie made by weirdos who are super into the paranormal you know i think dan Aykroyd is probably not a million miles away from his character yeah and uh but because he's a comedian the movie is a comedy and this ghostbusters is made by you know comedians first and foremost who don't have that sort of natural oddball affinity for weird ghost stuff and all the all the ghost bits and pieces feel a bit um straightforwards you know yeah and it, do, it doesn't have that like strange 80s quality i wanted to see a bit more practical effects and um i think that's true it's a little bit too polished and i it's yeah like, exactly if it looks a bit too shiny and nice yeah and it's that sort of um reboot thing of like they're sort of trying to reverse engineer ghostbusters from the films and just if you're not you know naturally inclined and yeah it just doesn't thoughts. quite yeah doesn't 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 quite catch it but it's like i don't know i think i just i generally quite liked it but i don't understand the extreme response oh no no i mean the response is obviously like absolutely ridiculous but like some people have like 
said they like really love this film which is you know fair enough like but i don't understand the sort of kind of polarizing thing that's sort of play happened you know i just think no. it's quite a sort of it's a three it's, star yeah yeah funny yeah movie yeah yeah it's it's not a movie that i had a very strong reaction to i think like that depends on you having brought a lot of baggage into the movie if you feel really strongly about it it's it's very pleasant film and everyone in it is really likable and it's full of good jokes yeah so i don't know how you can't really object to it that strongly very very amicable absolutely um yeah i mean i kind of i recommend it i think that it's wasn't quite as good as i'd hoped but certainly not bad i agree my favorite film stars Bridget Bardot. She's the queen and she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends and the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. So unlike us, Sam, some people are very angry about Ghostbusters, the fact that it exists, the fact that ladies are in it. And I've been um, doing some research, taking the temperature of the um, nusses yeah. on the internet. <laughs> And I thought I'd just share a few with you. Please uh, do. I've got these from the IMDb pages. I think that it was good of you to go to IMDb because it's a bit too easy if you go to YouTube. Yeah. You look at the most unobjectionable video ever on YouTube and it's full of yeah. like mad racists. So. Exactly. You go and like cute puppy whistling and they're like, what the fuck is this cunt? Yeah, they're like, get that king in president out of the White House or something. <laughs> so, um, the Halloway boys uh, posted a thread the title was this garbage would be more effective than waterboarding on terrorists <laughs> obviously colwyn put a post the title was this movie is the next step in male genocide yes. he writes mark my words within five years especially if trump is not elected men <laughs> or boys we round it up and put in camps that's the wretched things are heading <laughs> those are the two trends for him yeah this movie and the possible non-election of donald trump absolutely yeah um, Storm Happy 106. Uh, the title of his or hers post is Film well, it's Opens. It's obviously him, isn't it? Yeah, it's obviously him. Don't bother with it. Um, it opens, the title of the post is Film Opens with Vagina Fart and Vomit in My Vagina Jokes. What? He says, Disgusting. Hope these go over the kids' heads. Nipsey Russell says, This new Ghostbuster is sponsored by tampons and Mydol. Yes, no? I say yes. <laughs> What was the what was the thing that's not tampons? Mydol is a drug for menstrual cramps. I, I researched today. Okay. So I'm learning, you know, if nothing else, I've learned the name yeah. of the menstrual cramp drug. Well, there is a lot of menstrual cramp talk in the film. Uh, zombies hate... No. no. <laughs> <laughs> I was wicked. No, that would be great. Hopefully in the second one. Zombies hate veggies has a post entitled, Male viewers enter straight. Leave gay wearing panties. Wait. Enter straight, leave gay, wearing panties. Yes. Okay. Uh, Reservoir Dave replied to this, except for you. You ended as a fag, and I left an even bigger fag. <laughs> and uh, that was responded to by Mr. Sinister Six, six spelt by, with uh, Roman numerals, V1. He says, any SJW male, social justice warrior, social justice social warrior. warrior, going to see this movie is going in wearing panties. And if you're straight... His balls will be in his girlfriend's purse. Wow. <laughs> Mpools83 says, So I'm sexist if I think the Ghostbusters a hood be men when? <laughs> I think he's trying to say should. So he said a hood. A hood. A hood. He went on a long rant. I'll just praise this about how he thought it was misogynistic that the men were shown to be idiots. Yeah. And how in the original Ghostbusters, the women he thought were strong characters. And he points to Janine, the receptionist, and uh, Dana, uh, played by Sigourney Weaver, 
Also, so was Dana. Just because she needed rescued by the Ghostbusters after being possessed by an ancient Sumerian god doesn't mean she wasn't a strong, independent, single mother. Men are more put down nowadays by all the women rights groups who think women deserve more, which I am on board with for some of it, but there are much better ways to go about it. <laughs> Sounds quite progressive, actually. Uh, this one... This one I like a lot, Crossgrove. His title is, This is not the worst movie of all time. <laughs> Some people are saying that this is the wart... <laughs> Some people are saying this is the wart movie of all time. It is not. It's merely a really bad movie with no redeeming qualities and it insults your intelligence. And most of the YouTube videos made slamming it are hundred times of, hundreds of times funnier than this movie. Seriously, this movie is just not funny. In fact, Batman and Robin, George Clooney and whoever played Robin, had more humor <laughs> in it than this movie does. And that movie was worse than this one. That is how not funny this movie is. What? Save your money, read a cereal box. It will cost less and be funnier. That doesn't even make sense. Well, obviously it doesn't make sense, but he's saying that Batman and Robin is a worse movie than this one, yeah. but is funnier than this one. And that is an indictment of yeah. how bad this film is. Ah, I think he's got a bit lost there. Okay, I think, um, he, I think he did. I don't think he's seen. I just don't think he's seen Ghostbusters. No. Way too grimy says, This movie is a disgusting and sad embodiment of modern times. <laughs> Where do you start? Racist, bigoted, hypocritical, and above all, sexist. Oh, the irony. Then you take the poor acting. Terrible casting, dog-awful screenplay, poor direction, absolutely childlike CGI. And what do you have? <laughs> a great big steamy pile of crap. This is a disgrace to the originals, and it is disgusting that such an iconic and cult franchise, not to mention a huge piece of my childhood, was sold off to appease radical feminists and create some sort of twisted political statement. It is a sad embodiment of modern times, where instead <laughs> of barriers being broken, relationships being built, and people coming together in harmony the world over, or instead becoming more divided than ever due to extremist minorities and their dysfunctional, twisted worldview that everything should somehow revolve around them. And that, the dare I say, normal majority of some sort of <laughs> evil that needs to be made example of. Sad times. I pity these people. I really do. They are totally deluded. <laughs> I want to see the version of Ghostbusters made by radical feminists that this guy saw. I want to see the, like, insanely political... Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, powerful statements aimed solely at radical feminists. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Adrenaline Dragon just says this is going to haunt me for the rest of my life <laughs> well I mean, yeah is that a joke like ghosts yeah i think so nice there was one that was like my spirits weren't raised oh yeah good. great and finally david habert says who you're not gonna call these girls busting in this one doesn't make you feel good <laughs> so there's some hate yes. out there did anyone make a joke along the lines of like they were ghost busting my balls or something. Oh, I'm sure that's... Stop ghost busting my balls. Uh, well, if they don't, I am, for one, I'm disappointed in the lack of imagination in those... Yeah. I think uh, I might take up a career as a sexist internet troll. Yeah. Because I think I could do better than these hacks. Yeah. If you're going to be, like, a dick, at least be... Come on, do it right. Do it right. Do it right, dicks. There's no way you're going to beat the uh, SJWs for that kind of approach. Exactly. Yeah. So, anyway... Actually, I've, I've actually been a bit convinced by those arguments. Actually, I thought they were quite good. Actually, yeah, it was actually a fucking feminazi piece of shit that ruined my childhood. I've taken it all back. It's the worst one I've ever seen. It's even worse than Batman and Robin with George Clooney and whoever played Batman and Robin. <laughs> it's even worse than that. <laughs> and that film is worse than that, but it's not a comedy. It's hard to make a film that both ruins your childhood and your entire gender as well. Yeah. Yeah, actually, it's pretty good, isn't it? 
Well done. I think we'll end on a positive note. Well done. Well done, Ghostbusters. And well, well done, done uh, you, listener, for making it through this uh, podcast. Not to um, put us put us down a bit too much, but, but it must have been difficult for you. So what are we doing next week? Have we have any, got anything in the tank? Anything in the pipeline? We're going to review... Is Bourne out? Yeah, I don't know. Yes. Let's review Bourne, whether it's out or not. Yeah. Let's <laughs> review it. If not, we'll just review that poster. Yeah, I'll review the trailers. Yeah, so, let's, let's do that. <laughs> so look forward to that. I might go see the Ab Fab movie with my mum. Oh, yeah. Give us your views. Me too. Give us Louise's views. What is uh, Kate? You can uh, see it with your mum. Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. I was going to say, like, we, we did not invite you <laughs> <laughs> to come. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Let's have the mums view. It's kind of aimed at the mums. Okay, goodbye. Goodbye.